Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Ah, here we go with the brand new Curtis News Network. I know you thought CNN meant other things, right? No, no. It's the Curtis News Network. And every day, you got to tune in to get your ABCs. Always broadcasting Curtis. Because I'm going to take you from the suites down to the streets into the underbelly where few, if any, people go. And I know where all the bones are buried and who buried them. So remember, you want to get your fix each and every day on CNN, the Curtis News Network. And we start right here. Ah, the War of the Roses has come to an end. At least in this part of the ongoing battles between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Which way did they go? Which way did they go, right? <laughs> what Michigash? What craziness? Any of you who've been married? As many a times as I've been married? As many times as these folks have been married or they've had their home slices on the side? You know it's nothing but double trouble. But this case in particular galvanized the world. Now remember, it's been going on for a month. In the midst of this trial in Virginia, by the way, a defamation trial, we're not talking a criminal prosecution. This is not like OJ. Almost had the same following because we have Johnny Depp, right? Who was claiming that he was defamed. Amber Heard claiming she was defamed. Vice versa. And it all started with an op-ed piece in the Washington Post at the height of the Me Too movement. That was Amber Heard's piece. She never once mentioned Johnny Depp. Never once mentioned Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. But ultimately, everybody could figure out by connecting the dots who was she talking about, her former boyfriend, her former husband, Johnny Depp. And oh, my God, you would have thought that she was a human pinata by the kind of treatment she received. Now, Johnny Depp knew that everybody knew that that Washington uh, Post op-ed piece was about him. And all of a sudden, a guy who almost won three Academy Awards, all these Golden Globe nominations, I mean, I'm thinking to myself, man, he was really good in Donnie Brasco, right? Hey, I'm telling you, you were really good in Donnie Brasco. Really good in Blow. Nick of Time, 1995. Not so good. You got a Raspberry Award. But the reason I mentioned Nick of Time, Johnny Depp was a big supporter of the Guardian Angels in Hollywood, in Los Angeles. He would stop and talk to them on Hollywood Boulevard and Sunset Boulevard. He knew a chapter leader, Jaguar. Jaguar who led the effort. So he comes up to Jaguar one day and he says, how'd you like to be in a movie? Jaguar said, me? He said, not just you. All the guardian angels of Los Angeles. This is the city of, Lo of angels. Well, Jaguar calls me up. This is before cell phones. Says, you're not going to believe this. Johnny Depp wants us to be in the movie. I said, go for it. It also has Christopher Walken. Wait a second, Christopher. Christopher from Astoria? 
the psycho boy from Deer Hunter? You kidding? Oh, yeah, he's he's the heel. He's the bad guy. Wow, this might be an Academy Award winning movie. Go for Jaguar. Go for the Guardian Angels. Meantime, maybe one of the worst movies of all time, a real Raspberry Award. Although every scene you see Guardian Angels going up and down. It was an attempt to assassinate the governor of California. Christopher Walken was sort of like the evil mind, sort of like the Joker type. It stunk out the joint. So he's had great movies, he's had bad movies. Now, Amber Heard, what is she best known for? Well, they say she's a good actress. I've never seen her in a movie. One thing we know, she knows how to attract men. Huh, Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, and a whole bunch of other guys who were dealing with her, let me be kind to her, her eccentricities. But to me, it's almost like she was a Venus flytrap. She had her pluses, but oh boy, she had her minuses. So then all of a sudden, she hooks up with Johnny Depp. You know, fair weather friend, Lover, not lover, wore the roses. Typical Holly weird relationship. But whoever thought that it would get to the point where not only was there a trial in London in the old Bailey, the judge with the powdered wigs, the barristers there, Amber Heard won. But then Johnny Depp said, no, 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 no. Where do I go to recover my honor? I've been disparaged. I can no longer work. People look at me, they say, you're a lech, you're a perv, you have anger management issues, you're an alcoholic, you're a drug user, you're the worst human being in the world. In fact, you're worse than <laughs> O.J. himself. It got that bad. So he says, how do I recover my honor? What window do I go to to get my reputation back? Well, civil court. So he dis determines that the venue would be in Virginia. And let me tell you something. This guy, Johnny Depp, what is that? Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp. That's right, Johnny Depp. He's from Kentucky. And yet, when he was testifying, he didn't have that southern drawl. He sounded like an English schoolboy who had just graduated. Actually, they call private school, public school there. Like he had just gone to Oxford. Very slow, very meticulous, very convincing, very much um, coming across as the victim of this overreaching Black Widow spider, Amber, Amber Heard. Well, he's pretty damn convincing. Every day after court, he'd leave, and you'd have all of his sickle fans, toadies, and lackeys, his groupies out there. Amber Heard would leave with her entourage, and all she would get is boo, boo, boo. So the people's choice was clearly, clearly Johnny Depp. Although, let's face it, what a degenerate he turned out to be. If half of what Amber Heard said was true, what a total degenerate. But then again, Amber Heard, oh, she was like a yenta, nonstop. She embellished. She was over the top. No human being in the world could be that bad. So a jury of their peers determined that it was medze, medze, poco, poco. It's sort of like, what can I say, King Solomon, cutting the baby in half. The jury obviously sided with Johnny Depp emotionally, but they figured, hey, Amber Heard was entitled to car fare home. So they gave her $2 million so she could pilot her Learjets all over the world. Johnny Depp, they said $15 million, and I guarantee you, we'll see round three. We had the court case in London, Amber Heard won.
We had the court case in Virginia. Clearly, the people's choice, Johnny Depp. His best performance ever, Academy Award. Amber Heard is now considered evil. Somehow, some way, these two will resurface again. Now, when we spoke about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, I told you about a great guardian angel named Jaguar who led our effort in Los Angeles and Hollywood along Sunset Boulevard and Hollywood Boulevard. That's how he befriended Johnny Depp. But eventually Jaguar went to New Orleans, which was crime central. And he was there at the time of Katrina. And that was 2005. Remember with that crazy mayor there who lost it, who wanted to blame Bush? And then remember Kanye West? George W. Bush hates black people. You remember that, right? He, he also was tripping out. But 2005, we saw the power of a stage five hurricane as it just throttled New Orleans, which is a city underwater to begin with because of all the levees. Extraordinarily dangerous. And we knew that that was the beginning of global warming, climate change. But like everything in America, we go from one disaster, we forget the disaster, and we're on to the next disaster. So it really wasn't until 2012 that we got pimp slapped again all up and down the Northeast Corridor. In fact, you know what that was. It wasn't a hurricane, it was Superstorm Sandy. And it was so strong that at that time, in 2012, it was towards November, the end of a very competitive race between President Barack Obama, who was seeking a second term, and Mitt Romney, who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, big enough to offset the trade balance between Red China and the United States. They were neck and neck. Hurricane, Superstorm, Sandy came, and that was it for Mitt Romney. Because remember, Shabu! El Jefe, Chris Christie, governor of New Jersey, wearing that fleece uh, jacket every day, embraced Barack Obama, and you know the rest of that story, as they became bosom pals, the best of buddies, like two peas in a pod, like a horse and a carriage, like a soup and a sandwich. The problem is that Superstorm Sandy really devastated us. Now, you want to know how bad we are at trying to keep pace with global warming, climate change? First off, we have a lot of folks on the Republican right who believe that that's conspiratorial, all made up, that it doesn't exist. It exists. There's no doubt about it. The, the world, the globe is warming up incrementally. The seas are rising. The ice flows are melting. Up there in the North Pole, in Greenland, and yes, in Antarctica, the South Pole, so you can't argue with it, but there are people who argue with it. Secondarily, we should have learned from the lessons of Superstorm Sandy. We did not. Look at New York City, devastated. Lower Manhattan, right? The entire subway system wiped out. Wall Street almost wiped out. So billions of dollars were put aside by the federal government through FEMA. And we were supposed to build a seawall down in Manhattan, lower Manhattan, they covered all of Wall Street, where the World Trade Center is on the west side, all the way up to the South Street Seaport. They haven't laid one brick. The money was appropriated in 2013. Mach what happened to the money? Now, there's money for a seawall in Staten Island. Staten Island was underwater, that whole South Shore. Father Capitano Boulevard, Dolphin Plaza, South Beach. It was to go from the Verrazano Bridge and was to go completely west. They haven't laid one brick 
of that seawall. What are we waiting for? Another superstorm? Another hurricane? Another level three storm? Two storm? One storm? Look, in some of these areas you go by Broad Channel. You go over there by, uh, oh, Hamilton Beach. Now, that's not the blender. That's right near Old Howard Beach, near JFK, where they have houses on stilts. A little spritzing will cause flooding and all kinds of drama. So every mayor comes in. Every mayor says they're going to address the probabilities of what's going to happen when the next storm comes. And we see in the interim heavy rains in which nobody has cleaned out the sewers, in which the the subways are backed up, in which the highways are flooded, in which homes, just this past summer of 2021, homes went underwater, especially basements in Queens and Staten Island and Brooklyn. And have we learned anything from that? No, it's all hollowed rhetoric from Democrats and Republicans. But yes, I'm an environmentalist. I'm a believer in global warming climate change. Most of it is man-made. And if we don't do something lickety-split, all of a sudden, we're going to be frying one day. The heat is going to be so hot, right? It's going to be almost like a Donna Summer song. Uh, It's hot out there, and it's getting hotter. And think of it, there's no water in California. 40 million people, almost no water for them to use. What are they going to do? Bring down icebergs with uh, ships? and then melt it down, you don't even have the icebergs anymore, they're melting. So let's get wise, let's shape up, let's get pragmatic, use common sense, let's understand you don't have to become a complete green team member, but you cannot dispute the facts that the globe is getting warmer, that there is global warming and climate change, and that we gotta get off our butts, scrape the barnacles off our backside, get our rear in gear, spend the money the FEMA already appropriated to protect us here in the New York, New Jersey area, or we have only ourselves to blame. Uh, just the other night, Yankee Stadium, the new one, not the old one, the house that Ruth built, that was my favorite, the new Yankee Stadium, which is just a mall that Jeter built and Aroy built, that's right, we'll talk about Jeter later on because he's back on social networking, oh, you're all going to get for touch, we're not talking about that now, who was on the mound for the California Angels, pitching against the Yankees, Thor, Syndergaard, you remember in his prime, Blonde hair down to his shoulders. Looked like a Viking and Norseman. Looked like he could be in that new picture about the Viking and Norseman. He had that classic look. Coming out of Texas, he was Texas tough, and he would throw 100-mile-per-hour fastballs. He didn't care who was up, and he would give you chin music. He was an outstanding pitcher. Unfortunately, he didn't want to l- listen to anybody who was telling him, Watch the elbow, you know something? Because all of a sudden, you're going to have to go for surgery, your shoulder and your elbow. Nah, nah, I'm Thor. You know, I'm a caricature of Vikings and Norsemen of old. Well, what happened? Popped his shoulder, popped his elbow, had to get Tommy John surgery. He's been on the shelf for two years. Finally got a $25 million contract from the California Angels. Unproven. And he's been out there at the beginning of this season, not doing all that well. And he got shelled yesterday in Yankee Stadium. But it reminds me that in the past, when it was DeGrom, the ace, Syndergram, number two, Thor, the Mets were on their way, they thought, to a World Series. They got stopped 
by Kansas City Royals. Remember, they were on their way. They had quite the pitching core. They had quite the team. But eventually, like Humpty Dumpty, who took a big fall, they couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together at all. First, it was Syndergaard, Thor. Now look at the Met lineup. Their ace, DeGrom, oh, my shoulder, my elbow, my shoulder, my elbow. Then they brought Scherzer, first from Detroit, then he ends up with Houston Astros. He's a Hesher to Mercenary. Then the Washington Nationals, probably the best pitcher in baseball, best thinking pitcher, good sinker, good fastball, good curveball. And what happens? He gets signed by Stephen Cohen, who should have been in jail, owner of the Mets for insider trading information. And pop goes the weasel. There goes his shoulder. There goes his elbow. The curse of the New York Mets and City Field are upon Matt Scherzer and DeGrom. But Met hopes are eternal. They say, hey, Alonzo's back. That's right, the polar bear is back. He's knocking him right out of the park. Hey, I'm a Yankee fan, and I'm not getting all for toots and all crazy because the judge is leading the American League and Major League in home runs with 18. I know he's going to break down too, like Stanton, like the polar bear is going to break down. So let's get real here. I take you back to 1969, the Miracle Mets. I hated them then as I hate them now. That was the summer of Woodstock. That was the summer of the spacewalk. That was the summer of the New York Mets winning against all odds against the Baltimore Orioles. 4-1 the World Series. That was also coming out of the winter. Joe Willie Namath, who was playing in Shea Stadium in the offseason with the Jets as they they beat the Baltimore Colts, unbelievable, of Earl Morrow and Johnny Unitas. People said it couldn't happen. It was an amazing year. I'll never forget. It was Tom Seaver and Jerry Koosman. They were the DeGrom and Scherzer of that time. They didn't break down, though. Not at all. And they had Tommy Agee in center field with basket catches. They had Cleon Jones in left field, great hitter. And then they had Ron turning around, turning around, Swoboda in right field, who made a miracle catch. The guy couldn't even catch his uh, dandruff falling off his shoulders. Everything broke for the Mets in that Miracle World Series. And then they came back in 86, and it was the cocaine Cowboys, remember? Everything was coked up. Davey Johnson, the manager, he was half in the bag. You had what? Daryl Strawberry. Then all of a sudden, who else? You had Dwight Gooden. You had Keith Hernandez. It was the cocaine train. And then against all odds, I remember that. Mookie, Mookie. He hits the ground ball. Goes right through the, the legs of the first baseman of the Boston Red Sox. And seals the deal for game seven. The Mets come back in Shea Stadium and win it all. The Cocaine Cowboys triumph. And you've been pretending since, sometimes getting very close, but never winning the World Series again. So now, hope leads eternal. I understand, Met fans. You're no longer straddled down by the Will Pond family. I call them the Will Ponzi's because Bernie Madoff was their best friend. You're no longer saddled down by crazy baseball deals that have... Oh, I remember that. Bonilla. Bobby Bonilla. The South Bronx kid who played in Lehman High School. Great. 
He goes to Pittsburgh, right? And who was he playing with that time? Bonds, right? And they were what? They called them the Bumblebees. And then all of a sudden, Bonds goes on to San Francisco. He gets all roided up. He becomes superstar extraordinaire. Bobby Bonilla comes back to New York City with the Mets. Nothing. But his wife turned out to be the smartest lawyer in the world. Living in Stamford, Connecticut, she, find, she signed a 25-year guaranteed contract for Bobby Bonilla with the Will Ponzi's. That means he's still getting paid in Stamford. Nobody has a deal like that. So, Met fans, as I go to City Field and I look in the parking lot and I see what looks like a demolition derby with all those cars, and I realize that most of you are getting ripped off by a billionaire named Stephen Cohen who could easily fund the team and charge you 50 cent to bring you and your family to this game. You're taking reverse mortgages. You're going for payday loans. You think, oh, with 10 games ahead of the Atlanta Braves, guaranteed, as I've seen it many times before, my very first game was at the old polo grounds. Even though I was a Yankee fan, Yankee Stadium was a cross across the bridge, across the Harlem River in the Bronx. My first game I watched, the New York Mets. Who was the manager? Casey Stingle. Rod Keneal was playing. Oh my God, Marv Thornberry couldn't catch anything. Frank Thomas. Oh, that was a miserable season. So just remember, I was there in the first year, the second year, I wasn't a Mets fan, but I felt your pain. But now that you have illusions of grandeur, and marijuana is now a legal uh, recreational drug. You must be going puff, puff, pass to think the church is going to come off the DL, the Grom's going to come off the DL, and it's going to be the ghosts of Seaver and Koosman in 69. Psych! Not. I'm a tried and true Yankee fan, cut my veins and arteries. I bleed Yankee pinstripes. But unlike all the others who were so trendy, who believed that Derek Cheetah was like baby Jesus, you know, baby Jesus right there in the manger, oh my God, he could do no wrong. Oh, Derek Cheetah, number two. All of the groupies, all the kids who would wear number two, the most popular throwback jersey since 1995 when he came up as a rookie. Remember the core four, I'll never forget it, was Mariano Rivera. He came up as a starter, not as a reliever. Eventually, they smartened up and said, this guy coming out of the bullpen, the Sandman, the best there ever was. There was Jorge Posada from Puerto Rico behind the plate. All hit, could not block the plate at all, no way. There was Andy Pettit, great lefty coming out of Louisiana, who eventually was influenced by Roger Clemens, that Udiscrazia, that Shanda, and started to use anabolic steroids. And then... It was the second coming of Jesus Christ. Derek Sheeter, oh, he could do no wrong. Every time I would listen to an interview, the few that he would give to Yankee broadcasters, whether it was Michael Kay or whether it was John Sterling. By the way, that's, what was he, about 80 years old back then in 1995, John Sterling. He must be like 105 now. And they would do interviews. Derek Jeter would be in the clubhouse at Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, the one that Ruth, uh, the house of Ruth, and then the new Yankee Stadium, the one of him and uh, Aroid, and he would say nothing. Never has a man existed in this world who has spoken less and said even less. 
And yet the paparazzi, the press corps, we can't get enough of Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter, oh, the pearls of wisdom are dripping from his lips. I'd listen to a four-minute interview, and I'd say to myself, the, the hell, what, what, what's he talking about? I didn't understand what the hell Derek Jeter was talking about. He said nothing. He didn't want to disparage anyone. He didn't want to defame anyone. He was the anointed child, the golden calf of baseball. He wanted to preserve his trademark, his copyright, which at times was bigger than baseball itself. Remember the World Series of 2000? How could I forget it? It was against the hapless Mets. There was Bobby Valentine, who, remember, was famous for putting on that mustache. Oh, yeah, I'll never forget, probably one of the greatest left fielders of all time who was sitting in that dugout playing cards with who? Bobby Bonilla. <laughs> and yet the Mets made it to the World Series, okay? I give you cred there. In fact, I remember sitting in the nosebleed section of Shea Stadium. It was game number four. The Yankees were about to sweep them, eventually beat them 4-1. Derek Jeter hit another mighty home run. This was not a power hitter, but, man, he came to life in 2000 in the Subway World Series, and he almost single-handedly buried the New York Mets. Remember? Hey, remember Roger Clemens all roided up, throwing it. Mike Piazza, the Italian stallion, you Met fans out there. I remember seeing him in Yankee Stadium midseason, Subway Series. He hit Mike Piazza in the head with like a 100-mile-hour fastball. Hey, Mike Piazza, he must have looked down his trousers and saw cocktail onions. He didn't retaliate. He didn't respond. Bobby Valentine didn't have the bench clear off. Then he did it in the World Series. And remember, Mike Piazza bat shattered. And what happened? Roger Clemens picked up that shattered bat, threw it at Piazza, and you knew the Mets were going to lose. But there was Derek Cheetah. Derek Cheetah would never get into a fight. Derek Cheetah was the pretty boy. Derek Cheetah was the golden boy. And then all of a sudden, he retired. Thank God. Remember when they brought over A-Royd from Seattle, who then went to Texas and started using Royds? A-Royd was actually a better shortstop than Cheetah. But they convinced A-Royd, you got to play third base. Because this is the captain. This is all world Derek Cheetah. Everything for Derek Cheetah. Then he retires. And we thought he'd go away to Tampa, where it was a tax shelter for him. Remember, he wasn't paying his taxes in New York City. And he became part owner of the Florida Marlins. And he led the biggest wholesale destruction of a baseball team in the history of sports. And he, anyone they developed in the Florida Marlins, they shipped them out. It's almost like they became a minor league team. And you said... Derek, what the hell are you doing? Oh, this is Derek Jeter. You can't say that, Curtis. He was birthed in New Jersey. Grew up in Kalamazoo. The all-American guy. Product of a biracial family. He's the best, not like the rest. Mariah Carey, right? All the hot-to-trot babes. You talk about Eric Adams, the swagger man on mayor. Derek Jeter would be raising the roof all night and never seemed to have a problem. And when all of a sudden Mariah Carey or some other hot-to-trot babe that he got a, a shot of lake from was complaining, somebody would grease them and they'd go away and they always had nice things to say about Derek. Well, you know something? I'm a tried-and-true Yankee fan. I love Bobby Richardson as the second baseman. I would even choose Horace Clark as bad as he was over Derek Jeter. I hate Derek Jeter. And now that he's back on social networking, he's tweeting, 
to you twits out there. He's on Instagram. You know it's not him. It's somebody else. He's doing Facebook. And I'm telling you, it's all going to be about nothing because Derek Jeter never said anything. He never meant anything. He was a placebo. He wasn't into social networking before, and he won't be into social networking now. But all of you will be down. Oh, number two, Derek Jeter, I love you. Oofah, Derek Jeter. 